To close this event, we have a closing panel. And earlier today, I had a brilliant idea to practice the art of delegation because I volunteered a new moderator, Bart Markus. But you will be the moderator. You come on stage first, and I show you where you may sit. I, hey. I, th I thought that when uh, you extracted a soft commitment out of me yesterday under a lot of alcohol, that that was the end of it, and I would not be on the spot anymore. But I was wrong, obviously. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Because it is always good for a surprise, as you know. This is for you. We have um, Phil La Rochelle, Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Yeah. Make some noise for Phil. You know why? Because he's representing a billion dollars from people like Bill Gates and his friends. We have sitting next to Phil, the one and only Julia Patberg of Set Ventures. Hi. <laughs> this is perfect for you. And we have one more guy in a yellow shirt. You know him from yesterday, Thomas Gottschalk. Founder of Mubizol. Yes, give it up, give it up. You have the privilege of sitting next to Julia. And uh, we have uh, one more really experienced investor now working with us, Generation. It's uh, another big fund uh, co-founded by somebody called El Gore. But this guy is called Alois Flatz. Hey, Hi. Alois. Nice to see you. Okay. And now my job is done, and I give it over to this guy. So, so I'm going to actually start with a question, not to the panelists, but to you guys. Um, so for the entrepreneurs in the room, the question is like, which one of you wants to make a big impact? And for the ones that are supporting the startup, are you willing to, or are you aiming to make a big impact on your company? So show of hands. So no surprise, right? Everyone wants to make a big impact. So it seems that it's just Jan wants to make double big impact. So it seems that we're on spot on with the topic of the panel. So um, if, if, I, um, uh, if I think about that, I have to think back about, as Jan mentioned, I, uh, I spent 15 years at uh, Wellington Partners. And um, in the very early days, I had a mentor in the US, um, uh, Joe Schoendorf, one of the early partners at Excel. And um, uh, what struck me when I spent a lot of time with him, how he was talking about companies and how entrepreneurs in the US were operating. And then I came back to Europe was how people just Maybe they raised a hand on a question like this, but when you then talk to them and you went through the detail, there was not always a lot behind it. And the thoughts were maybe not as big. So we actually made, and that was my partner, Frank Bunker at the time, he came with the idea we had these business cards, and on the back it said, think bigger. And when I would give the business card, my business card to an entrepreneur, I would always give it the wrong way around so that they wouldn't read my name, but they would read, think bigger. So the first question to the panel is, um, you know, do you think there is an ambition gap between uh, US and Europe. And actually, you know, um, beauty before age, I would say. So, Julia, maybe you want to start. What, what do you think? Uh, I think, yeah, indeed, I think there isn't. Uh, we there's see, not? There's not, no. Okay. So, uh, first of all, yeah, we see companies all over Europe, and we see that especially in the Netherlands, our home markets, um, the companies tend to have very modest business plans with very, very modest growth plans and, and getting a little bit of money here and then next year a little bit of more money. 
Um, but also bigger companies like Zonen, one of our portfolio company, last year they tried to raise 80 million uh, dollars, euros actually, and uh, they did not succeed in Europe and finally they had to go for a Chinese US investor, which was really good for them, but a shame that we can't do that in Europe easily. Yeah. So you think, actually you think there is an innovation gap then, in a way? Yes. Right? Yes, okay, <laughs> good. Any other views? Anyone that thinks there's not? Well, if I may, I was surprised yesterday, and um, maybe not surprised, I think it underlined my experience as a, looking for money over the last 10 years, um, when the CEO um, of Total Ventures uh, was talking, you know, I was just saying, you know, with this perspective, you know, I don't know how you will actually succeed with finding good uh, entrepreneurs and pushing them. Right? So he said, like, he's happy to spend $10,000 to $100,000, but please no risk, and you know, uh, it's, it's actually very difficult to invest in those companies, in those early stage companies. And, so, you know, I think that's, that's the beauty of early stage companies that you have to take a risk. But if you take the risk, you can actually have a very interesting return on that. So I've been over the last years since I had, I have lots of scars from investors who said, well, it's too risky or it's, uh, it's difficult to invest in that business. I'm always looking forward to have another venture actually in, in the States, uh, in, in the Bay Area, where, you know, my hope is that it's actually, it's much easier to, to get to, to funds happily with a, uh, on, a lower valuation maybe, but that, you know, the entrepreneurs can really concentrate on doing the business, on being entrepreneurial and uh, being innovative and not spending 60, 70% of the time fundraising because that's, you know, it's, first of all, it doesn't, it's not very enjoyable and second, you don't create value to the, actually, to the shareholders, not to the existing and not to the future shareholders. So you actually think there's an ambition gap not necessarily with the entrepreneurs? But with the investors more than the entrepreneurs, is that what you're saying? Well, I think you know that, that the entrepreneurs, they, they in, in, at least in Europe, they don't think very ambitious anymore because you know they were never challenged to think ambitious, right? Because again, if you generously by one of the biggest companies get ten thousand dollars as a check for uh, you know to start an idea, what is that about, right? So I think you you are actually um, you're shut down as an entrepreneur to think uh, ambitiously. Different view from one of you, otherwise. Well, I'd agree that I think that the ambition on the part of entrepreneurs is pretty much worldwide, um, not just in Europe and the United States, but in Asia. Um, and so I think that, you know, how capital responds to those entrepreneurs, I think, is the big challenge. I think that there's a lot of good ideas out there, um, and it's our job to make sure that the good ones get funded. Uh, and as Breakthrough, um, we have the advantage of being able to invest worldwide. So wherever those entrepreneurs have ambitions, we'll uh, fly out to see them. Yeah. So go all over. Um, I think that just an observation for myself is also that if you look at European entrepreneurs, is I've seen uh, in, in the US, if you're a successful entrepreneur and he does a hundred million exit, then he wants to do his next company, it needs to be a billion dollar exit, and he does that company, he wants a ten billion dollar exit on his third company. Whereas in Europe, I always have the feeling that the entrepreneur that does a hundred million exit, he will either want to go and buy a house in Saint-Tropez and lay on the beach, or he wants to become a venture capitalist and take it easy, right? So that's the, um, but okay, that's just my observation. It's the easy I, job. Yeah. yeah the easy job. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, maybe when we talk about, uh, because we now talked about uh, impact in terms of money, but uh, is, is that how you guys would define big impact as money or is there other, I'm, I'm looking at you Phil, because I think, uh, I think I know that yeah. that's not the way you guys look at it, right? Well, uh, I think money and having a viable business is one of, if not the most important indicator of success, regardless of what you're trying to do. We like to say that if you're trying to reduce gigatons of greenhouse gases, you have to make gigadollars. That's the only way that you get uh, big enough. But our uh, criteria for impact is, is pretty specific. Um, we're centered very much around the reduction of greenhouse gases. And specifically, we're looking for technologies that if they're wildly successful, and they would have to be wildly successful, 
they can reduce half a gigaton of greenhouse gas emissions per year versus business as usual by 2050. So that's, that's a mouthful. Uh, but what it basically means is that if we fund your company, we want there to be a believable story um, that this could result in a reduction of 1% of world greenhouse gas emissions. I was going to say you need a hundred like that. I was just trying to do the math in my head, right? <laughs> well, it's so, funny. You say that that's way too ambitious on an individual level, but then you look at the entire climate yeah, problem, you're not make a and you realize right? you have to do that a hundred times. Yeah. And so I think that BEV exists to a certain degree because if you really want to meet the climate targets, which is being carbon zero and then carbon negative by mid-century, you really got to take these big swings at the fences. And just, just to calibrate things, half a gigaton per year is more than the emissions of the UK. Um, if you go sector-specific, half a gigaton per year is hundreds of gigawatts of clean electricity. It's hundreds of millions of EVs. It's uh, tens of millions of pounds of beef. Or no, sorry, tons of beef. Mm. Hundreds of millions of tons of milk, 500 million tons of cement, 250 million tons of steel. So in terms of impact, um, we're really looking for... Is that the entry exam at Breakthrough Energy? That's right, no. Go through that. It's good. Well, you know, because we're a worldwide fund and, you know, we only have a certain number of people, one of our most useful filter is, if it works, will it matter? And so whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, I say, perhaps a bit differently than many sources of venture capital, who appropriately sort of say, how is your business viable in the near term, which of course we care about too, but we encourage entrepreneurs to say, what is your wildly optimistic vision of you being successful beyond your wildest dreams, and what does that mean for the world? And that's just what you have to do uh, if you want to have big climate impact. Yeah. Alois, what is, uh, how do you guys define big impact? Um, I think uh, big impact from uh, how we define it is that um, the mission of um, generation is uh, to prove the business case of sustainability investing. And that okay. means, you know, don't compromise on returns. Use environmental criteria, social criteria to enhance performance and to outperform. And um, only that way it will be sustainable in the long run. Uh, but at the other side, of course, it's important to, to um, on the growth side, uh, startups that they have a very strong ambition to, to create uh, non-financial impact. So environmental and social impact, so that, that's very important. I think what's important is also to measure that, you know, to have a, a clear measurement framework uh, and a kind of a scorecard for environmental uh, performance, uh, social performance, and what's the contribution to sustainable development goals. Thomas? You, you wanted some controversial uh, yes, panel absolutely. discussion, right? <laughs> Please. Um, so when we started Movisor, when I co-founded Movisor, I was always interested in um, sustainable uh, return and financial return. And I completely agree with uh, what Alois said. I said, the question is just, you know, what are healthy returns? You know, what, what should we actually aim for? Is it Lots a, a, of money. You know, is it an 8, 9, 10, 12% return? Or is it actually a 3% return, right? So... It's, it's just a bit, what is the benchmark, you know? I think we are looking from a very... Well, equity markets in the U.S. over the past 100 years, 9%, right? Yeah, but you know what? A good one? On, but on what, on what uh, economical and ecological benchmark, right? I mean, the economic of the U.S., you know, it's, it's, it's not you know, where yeah. I would like to live and work, you know? And the ecological, it's a nightmare as well. Not on the U.S., but globally. So, but that's what you get if you were looking for 9% return, right? So... Um, it's yes. extremely, you know, doing impact is extremely uh, difficult, you know, but let's do that, let's try that. But then as well, going for 9% or plus uh, return, um, it's, it's challenging. So I think that's a little bit like, that's a controversial now for the investors. Um, you know, do we really need to do 
impact at 9%, right? Or can we do impact at 3 4%, which is still, at, at our times, if you look at interest rates, actually a very healthy uh, uh, return of your investment. Yeah. But if I, if I can you know, kick a little bit back at you there, um, of course the question is, if you go out in Africa and you do uh, you know, solar power for people, I think there's a big social impact in that. Now you start to sell them color TVs, um, is that then still, um, is that then really just for financial returns? Or are you actually trying to make people's life better by enabling them to watch TV? Yeah. I don't have a TV. I try to keep my kids I, away from it, right? I, I don't have a TV at home, right? I hate TV. And well, I, I think so TV, you see? TV is the evil of society, right? So at least how, so how we are you sell it today. <laughs> I, so I, you're I, like I, the drug dealer, I, right? I, I don't do drugs, but I I'm sell like them. the drug dealer, that's right. My point is, um, for a long time, we, we try to, to find other um, appliances which to make them interesting. The point is, the consumer wants it, right? And who I am to say, well, no, dear uh, uh, African uh, person, you're not allowed to watch TV because it's evil. I know it better. So I think that's, that's unfortunately yeah. an evolution they have Use to Use Facebook instead, right? Yeah, better. You know, what, what yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, um, so I think, uh, and of course it's a bit of a job, right, to be here and say it's not just all about the money, it's also about, you know, making a positive impact. I think we're sitting on a green carpet with true plants behind us for that reason. So if, if we define that as the impact, uh, what are then the key things that uh, you look for in you know, business or, uh, Thomas, you're actually in a business as well when you started your business, that what do you need to have to see that big impact? Yeah, so yeah. quickly, our impact uh, of set ventures is uh, catalyzing the energy system transition so towards decarbonization, electrification, digitalization, uh, and also, uh, no, well, that's, yeah. that's it mainly, decentralization. And for that, there are actually, we see two main options. Um, so we either look for companies that are in five years from now going to be the, in the bottleneck of the value chain of a future economic model, which could, for example, be the digital utility that's more service oriented. That's why we invested in companies like Greencom and EnergyWorks. They really are in that key position in the value chain. Mm. Or you should really drive a mass market product that's completely new. Uh, that's, for example, Fusion. So we invested in a, in a Fusion no. company. We know that you love it. Um, yeah, or, or Zonnen. They have a completely new business model. They're a new utility of the future. Um, and it has to, the, the main thing we look for there is it has to be cheap. It has to be accessible, not for the upper few, but for everyone. Okay. In order to achieve environmental and, and social impact, it's important that the company itself is, is sound. And we have the ambition to contribute, if we invest in a company, to contribute that the company can grow and become a great, a great company for the long term. And uh, that's our, our ambition. And if a company can scale, the, the company also scales it, it, its impact. And um, so it's important that the company has the right, the right team, the right, uh, that it's strategically uh, well positioned. But what is important is that in addition to all the other criteria that we mentioned, that there is a basic alignment in values because at the end we invest in people. And on the longer run, a team and a company will only grow when its team has shared values and that there's also an alignment there with our values because that way we are able to build a partnership with a portfolio company because it's a kind of a marriage over a certain time, whatever, five years, we, can, we stay usually a bit longer than other investors. And in that time, it only works if there is a basis on, on shared values. Yeah. Um, yeah. The soul of the winner, I think I heard coming <laughs> through there, right? 
That's it's not us, but yes, 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 we agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to be succinct, uh, ambition, competence, honesty, capital, execution. So we want to give capital to people who have the first three and then help them do the fifth thing. Uh, anything to add, Thomas, or is that the list? You're, you're laughing. You've got a different view. No, no, no. I, I'm laughing about the 9% uh, return on in all of this, you know, the, 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 wish, the wishful thing of the investors and the 9%. Um, I think if you look at sustainability, um, it has different phases and or facets. And when we started with Soul, it was all about carbon mitigation. And the beauty of what I learned over the last eight years, sustainability is so much more, or impact is much more, right? It's gender, right? What an important topic. And, you know, suddenly gender is on access to energy, uh, uh, on the on the stage of access to energy, it's education, education, wow, right? So I think the populism which we see in, in Europe is only possible because we said goodbye to really good education uh, in the schools, in the public schools uh, today, right? And But if you go to the developing world, you know, education has never been there, right? They, they didn't say goodbye to it, it has not been there yet. So with what I see is actually as, as impactful there, education, 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 right? So which is connected as well to access to energy. So yeah, um, totally. for me, sustainability and impact um, became so much more multifolded than only looking at uh, an environmental protection because in the end it plays all together. And so it's, I think for us, difficult to measure all of the, the positive impacts and as well the negative impacts, right? So um, I hope that besides selling TVs to our people that the, the impact we do is still uh, uh, on the um, above the zero line. So, so if, I, if I can throw in a, you know, a, you know, a curveball here, as, um, there's a question I didn't actually tell you guys I was going to ask. So if you uh, take the you know, uh, soul of the winner uh, phenomenon, so from an investor perspective, and I'd love you to then comment as a founder after the investors have gone, it's like, do you prefer a company where, or do you only want a company where the uh, founder has the CEO capability to become really big with the company, or is it totally fine that you have someone which is good for one phase and you move through stages? I think there's no general answer to that. Ideally, the CEO can grow with the company yeah. and, uh, you know, there is, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a marriage over time so that, you know, there's no divorce, divorce there. And uh, if you have to replace um, a CEO or other key people, uh, especially founders, it can be a, it can be an issue. You know, you you need to find a good replacement, and you lose time and you lose um, a time to grow a company. So ideally, they can grow, and I think it's our 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 task to to assess the skills of of top management on one side, and on the other side, if we say you know we go with someone that we are supportive and help these people to. To be successful, to improve skills views? and develop skills. Yeah. yeah, different views from investors. I think it's yeah, it's pretty similar because we we don't have a blueprint for that. I think founders are incredibly important as visionaries and for selling their their technology and vision and, and making people very enthusiastic, uh, creating new ideas. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be the best manager. So it, it, we definitely don't say they always need to be the CEO. It's really good if they do stay really involved in the company. Um, but yeah, again, Zonnen is a really good example where the founder has grown to be an exceptional CEO that can really scale the company. Thomas, you have a different different view on that? Um, no, I think I have a very similar view there. Um, I think what I would like to add is, I think if you have a CEO who understands what his or her limitations are and you know when to maybe not step 
or try to, to stick to, to the position. I think that's an important view. If I would be investing in something, I would like try to understand is that person who's founding uh, or who's found, who's founded the company and who's leading the company able and willingly to understand where her or his limits are to not run into that deadlock. Because, you know, if you have a, a dirty divorce within a company, that's pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. If you have a, a warm, enjoyable divorce, you know, and where the divorce is just ending up in... Uh, which, uh, which one is that, right? How many of your friends do you know that actually divorce, had a warm say, and know. fuzzy divorce, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's... that's yeah. Again, if I would be investing in a company, I would try to understand that, and I think that would be core for me. Because what I think, if you start a company from scratch, if you start with one, two, three, four people, and uh, with a seed funding of $10,000, or yours, um, and you go to a multi-million dollar business company, it's, it's very different mindsets which you need to, to attract there. And um, at some point, you need really good managers. But a really good manager does not need to be a visionary person uh, who's an yeah. entrepreneurial mind. So, so I'll add my perspective to that. So um, I've had the privilege of being part of uh, a couple of really big companies that became multi-billion. I mean, Navtech was actually my very first investment. That was an 8.2 billion exit to Nokia. Obviously, Spotify a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't think that I can, if you just take financial metrics, as, uh, as they're like the billion-dollar companies, I can't think of many where um, the founder is not there. Um, most of the time, even as CEO. What I do believe is that as you grow the company um, and, and the certain skill sets that become required, you need to have a founder that is going to surround himself with people that fill those skill sets. I mean, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg, which obviously yeah. done a fantastic job on Facebook, he's yeah. a shit manager too, right? I think he's autistic, right? I think I like right. to say that here, right? But then, then I think, you know, the amount of startup companies... And Trump, is a, two, and Trump is a toupee, right? Yeah. I'm allowed to say that too. Which become <laughs> multi-billion dollar companies probably pretty limited. So I think that's, you know, that's as well the reality then as well. So that uh, having that beautiful growth stories um, is one out of a, whatever, a million, uh, a trillion. Yeah, so. but it's the topic of the panel, right? So we're yeah, talking no, about no, no, the no, big sure. impact. Yeah. Um, Phil, you're itching. No, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said here, which is that uh, you evaluate the leadership team at the beginning, and then you, it's an ongoing evaluation. Um, and I don't think you can be prescriptive to say this is the formula for success. Yeah. So if you then think, so we talked about what it needs to be successful. What is the, if, if each of you can think of one thing that if you look at a company and you think you want to have a big impact that you don't want to see there, what's, what's the worst thing that, uh, you know, you go run away crying and drink wine? I think the worst thing that can happen between a, a startup or a portfolio company and the investor is if um, you lose the trust on both sides, because yeah. at the end, it's people's business, at the end, it's mutual trust that you have to build, and um, if there is mistrust, that's the worst thing that can happen, okay. you know, and, and then all the other problems follow afterwards, but of course, there can be a reason why there is missing trust suddenly, so, and then it's, uh, it's also uh, a skill and important, uh, uh, and sometimes it's a real challenge to work on yeah. rebuilding the trust. Phil? I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that where things go off the rails is when something goes bad, but it's not shared what it should be. I think that you need to have a relationship where you understand that you're funding something that's risky and you have to course correct, and it's important to have the trust so that you can do that constructively rather than uh, destructively. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I fully agree with what's been said, but I also think that a company needs focus. So the, the worst thing okay. that we see is if a company wants to do everything, both within a market, but also 
covering everything that they're potentially... It never happens, right? Well, I haven't seen any company that no. wants to do everything for everyone. For some reason, <laughs> we, we see them in yeah. the market. And yeah. it's companies that really want to do everything that their customers and partners and potential acquirers are doing. Um, that's, that's really difficult to get business that way. Thomas, and maybe from a perspective as an entrepreneur and looking at investors, you know, what's the worst thing, you know, uh, that you have seen in or that you really want to avoid with, with investors in order to have the impact? Uh, no, I, I fully agree and I follow the three investors. Um, and that's actually, I think my biggest learning over the last 10 years um, is the trust. It's not trust. It's, the trust to your customers, trust in your company, but if the trust with your investors is gone, uh, yeah, basically you can close. Or, you know, you're in deep, deep trouble. So it's extremely difficult to yeah. to get out of that. I mean, in any relationship, right? And uh, with your investors, it's a very close relationship which needs to be trustworthy. Yeah. So that's four strikes for trust, and I would add my strike to trust as well. And I've, I've actually been through a situation uh, not that long ago where. Um, uh, we had a huge uh, issue between um, a founder, uh, CEO, and uh, and the board, where he was withholding information from uh, from the board. And if he would have actually come out with the information, we would have found a solution for it. And then, in the end of the day, when it came up, because everything always comes out, right? I mean, it's like it's, it's like when you're a child, you learn that you know you can eat the candy bar, but at some point, your mother is going to find out that it's gone, right? And so, um, yeah. So I agree. So last question: um, We've seen a whole bunch of charts uh, during the last couple of days. So now, but uh, where um, there's always one line that spikes out, and it's always China, right? So, if you want to build something big, how important is China to build something big, or how hard is China? Julia, what's that? I think both. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you can only build something big if you conquer China. Uh, it definitely helps. There are, of course, a, a few companies that are purely focused on China that are incredibly big and we've barely even heard of them. Um, yeah, for, for us, that's, yeah, we really focus on Europe and we think there's so much to be done and, and there's a whole revolution, an energy revolution that needs to happen here in Europe so we can have an immense impact here. So, Phil, what do you think? You guys are global? Absolutely. Uh, and if we look at the nation which has now overtaken the most greenhouse gas emissions, um, it's China, uh, but it's both a challenge and an opportunity because what they've accomplished in terms of their efficiencies of mass production, how they've brought down the cost of technologies, um, it's certainly a place that you can't ignore. Yeah. I would say you have to look at China from two perspectives. One is as a, as a potential market and one is as an incoming competition yeah. that could um, compete so, with your portfolio company. or, or and. Um, so from that perspective, you have to look at China because it's uh, from both from both sides. Uh, I think there are still uh, many uh, interesting niches, uh, ge more geographically defined. You know, as for example, you are active as we are with MCOPA in Africa, off-grid power. You know, it's more geographic niche in that sense. Um, um, there are certain technology niches where. Uh, Companies can still have an advantage, but competition yeah. could come in, but the market is probably short-term or, let's say, mid-term, not that important. But overall, we are living in a global world, and um, so we have to so look Thomas, at Thomas, you're going to go to Inner Mongolia and um, sell power there to the Chinese? You know, um, I, first time I traveled to China was 2007. Um, I was part of 2008. We, we traveled the globe with a solar-powered car, and uh, China blew me away. And I was in January uh, with my son in China because I wanted to show him the future. 
And China is the place to be. So if my wife would be more adventurous, so <laughs> is the wife, right? No, no she moved. <laughs> she, she moved from Australia to Germany. For me, so I can't ask her now to move to China. I would love to live in China because that's it's such an incredible feeling there. Electric mobility. I mean, uh, Jared Reed yesterday was talking about uh, the future of mobility, and I just talked to today to him. You know, is there a way around China? He said, No, China will do it, but he hopes that China is in for humanity. Right, and uh, I think China is a fascinating market, and I would love to be more involved in actually doing business in or with Chinese, actually. Yeah. So I'll then I'll close this uh, with a um, uh, verbatim from Joe Schoendorf uh, in 2008, I think, and he said, like, I now open every board meeting in every company on the board. I open a board meeting and say, what is your China strategy? And if they don't have one, bring it to me next board meeting. So uh, he, he he saw that in 2008, and I think it's uh, true. It's important. On that note, uh, thank you guys very much. I think uh, that concludes um, the panel, and uh, I hope to see most of you on the boat for the barbecue. This episode of the Eco Summit TV is made available by Hyperion Search. If you enjoyed this presentation, you may want to check out the This Week in Cleantech podcast. This Week in Cleantech is a new weekly podcast hosted by David Hunt of Hyperion Search where we will be hearing from the front line discussing the biggest and most interesting news in cleantech, e-mobility, energy storage, renewables and smart cities.